Let's knock them on their backs, butt them in the mouth, knock their ass in the dirt. That's what we got to do. We got to stop that buddy ball, smash everybody in the mouth. Hey, baby, we're going to be here all day, baby. I like this kind of party. I like this kind of party, baby. You're in the doghouse with Rick Watson and Big Dog Sports Talk on the WRAD Talk Network. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. You know what that means? Do you? We're the underdog. We're mutts. My number one play is the power sweep. If you only knew the power of the dark side. Welcome in to Hour 3, the Power Hour, on Big Dog Sports Talk with Rick Watson. Join the conversation now on the Long & Foster Baker Team Hotline, 540-639-4900, or text Rick and the show at Time you had Phil Collins here, right? Who could probably have belched into a microphone and had a top ten hit. <laughs> and then you pair him up with Philip Bailey, who, along with Maurice White, made Earth, Wind, and Fire one of the all-time greatest bands in the history of music. And it ended up being a really nice pairing. Although I will always prefer Philip Bailey's voice over Phil Collins' voice. Nonetheless, we always prefer our conversations with our next guest. He's the Radford University Hall of Famer. He's also our NFL correspondent. David Smith joins us on the program. David, good morning. How are you, my friend? Good morning, my good friend. Good to hear you this morning. And great to hear Philip Bailey, who probably doesn't get nearly enough credit individually. No. Well, the way he, but he, you know, he took one for the team. He was such a team player on Earth, Wind, and Fire. And there's a lot of people that probably think that he's Maurice White. I know because they aren't. They don't understand that the two differences <laughs> who they are. People like us. I know. So I know. Maurice White was like the the kind of the the uh, Ram Point, if you will, for that Earth, Wind, and Fire group. Uh, during our day, let me tell you, legendary band that still resonates today. Oh. Everybody that hears. September, they recognize how great the song is, even young people today. In fact, my, my youngest daughter, Sydney, just sent me a text yesterday. She goes, dude, and she sent me the Rock With You playlist song. <laughs> like, well, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on Michael Jackson today. She said, you guys grew up in the greatest era and that kind of thing. So it's fun to have them understand what we've known all along. Yes. Right? That we grew up in the greatest music era 
of them all. Without no question. question there about is it. no question about it. And you're right. It's filtered down to my kids, and it's great to see yep. younger, younger kids. We'll talk about these songs. I play all this music for the people I work with at RU, and they're like, wow. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was really good, and, wasn't it? <laughs> well, and, and the other part to it, and we'll get on to this thing called football in a second. Here's the other thing. They've heard variations of things, and they go, Oh, that sounds like my song of now. No, yeah, it's a copy of or <laughs> right. a third version of something said. And by the way, and and James Brown is another one. And I know I'm going oh. down the rabbit hole here. Oh, that's all right. The stuff that has been sampled from his work, uh, next level, next level. And so, uh, just kind of cool to always hear songs from the '80s uh, for the 500th time. Uh, it's always great to hear it. So yeah, I want to give you a shout-out on that as we start out Tuesday morning. Good morning to you, sir, great again. Music. Great music. <laughs> All right, let's get into Steve Wilkes here a little bit. You and I were talking at the uh, RU game the other day, and and you brought up a good point, too, because I had forgotten. This has happened to him a couple other times. But this time, to me anyway, it really felt like Kyle Shanahan – and John Lynch were scapegoating somebody for their lack of success in the big game yet again. Steve Wilkes led a defense that was really effective. Yeah, they struggled a little bit here and there, but that Super Bowl did not come down to Steve Wilkes' defense. It came down to the <clears throat> genius Kyle Shanahan not being able to score more than 19 points and then screwing up overtime and not having his team mentally prepared to what the overtime rules are going to be, yet – what was it, two days, less than 48 hours after the Super Bowl, they fire Steve Wilkes, their defensive coordinator? Everything about it is sour. It's just sour it on is. so many levels. It is. And, and the thing that's probably, and I, in, in preparing for this segment, I kind of looked over some stuff uh, on, on Anscape, the, the website of ESPN, uh, and, and, and read the article by William Roden around how this ended for Steve Wilkes, and it, and it reminded me of what I mentioned to you the other day. Steve Wilkes cannot seem to get it right, or he can't get done right for him. So he's, he's in 2018, he gets hired as the uh, coach of the Arizona Cardinals, and he legit had the job for one season, three year. and thirteen, one year, not two years. Now, hey, you know what? We're going to give you a chance to build on it. One year, abruptly fired at a three and thirteen record, and and of course he sued the NFL. And part of what he talked about was, I was a scapegoat bridge coach for the Cliff Kingsbury regime right. as they got the Calamary thing going in the whole bit. And, and so that was, okay, so there's that. So he settles back in to Carolina, goes to Carolina and says, okay, I'll be on the defensive coordinator side of the ball and we'll do these kinds of things. And so a couple of years later, what happens is Matt Rule finds out that he's in over his head at the NFL level. We've seen that before. Mm-hmm. So Steve Wilkes will step right into a train wreck and try to get that ship right, and he actually did a great he job. Did. The players rallied around him, and in fact, a lot of the conversation that was going on then, I don't think we had this segment of the show then, was, hey, you know what? They've got a guy in place. They don't need to go and change coaches again and no. try to find all these things in the uh, coming off of the Ron Rivera regime. They had something they felt, you know, guys were fighting for him. I remember seeing clips of the game ball and and we like coach and all those kinds of chants and all that. Nope. David Tepper decided, no, we got to blow this thing up and make another move. And so they go and get Frank Reich. No disrespect to Frank Reich, offensive coordinator of the World Championship Philadelphia Eagles team and this kind of thing. And they're like, okay, we're going to bring him in. He'll be the one we need to have that can take this number one pick. And they went in on Bryce Young. And, again, you can contemplate whether that was the right move or not. But they certainly felt like, okay, we're going to marry up a quarterback coach with Bryce Young. But you also got to, you know, as the head coach, you've got to be 
a leader of men, and that kind of thing. It did not work there. He did not survive one season. And so Steve Wilkes then goes and lands out in San Francisco where he's the third defensive coordinator in a couple of years mm-hmm. because the two previous ones had head coaching jobs, Robert Sala with the Jets, and you can dispute whether that's working or not. So many different moving parts there. Yeah. And D'Amico Ryans, which you and I predicted, was going to be a star. Now, yeah. we, did, we, we didn't see this, though, Rick. No, I don't think either of, you, no. uh, either of us saw that he was going to be what it is. He just sped up the clock that we kind of like because he's a new world coach, and he's the kind of guy, you know, you can see where he's got some of those Tomlin-esque connectivity points, still young enough to be a coach and still demanding enough of his players. So Steve Wilkes steps in, and as I read more about this, his style and his schemes did not marry up to what the Niners had been running. And yet Shanahan still hired him in lieu of that. Now, why they couldn't have decided how they were going to do things with all the offseason that they had and all the different things. So all he did was hold together his schemes versus what Shanahan wanted for his players, and it ended up looking terribly. The optics of it are so poor. If you're Shanahan coming off of a Super Bowl where there, tend to, there tends to be competency levels, if nothing else, communication issues, and then you let him go. It's a bad look for him. It's, it's a horrible thing for Steve Wilkes. I, you kind of wonder how this can continue to happen for him, and you feel bad for him. But at the end of the day, the Niners come up short. It looks really, really bad. They've got to do a lot of spin control to get this fixed. And if Shanahan, who I'm, who I'm more of a fan than you of him, he's got to complete the play, and he's got to make this thing right in the eyes of some, uh, otherwise it's going to continue to stain him. And the more they don't win, the more this will magnify moving forward. Yeah, lack of self-awareness there for Kyle Shanahan. And I wonder how the players are going to respond. I don't know who they're going to bring in or what they're looking for there, but this really reeked of a, uh, a scapegoat, in my opinion. David Smith joining us on the program, our NFL correspondent. Um, season, of course, is done for a little while. Um, how are you looking at the uh, the best in the league? Who are the David Smith All-Pro teams? <laughs> well, I'll give you – well, to me, it very much was, was very close to what ended up being the All-Pro. And so we – now that we put a bow on the season, uh, now we want to go ahead and acknowledge those who, who did their thing. And, and for me, when I saw the All-Pro team, it was very few – things to dispute Lamar Jackson being the first team yes. quarterback and Christian McCaffrey first team running back I mean it's, it's indisputable to me uh, and again for those who look at the end of the season and look at it now and you go well Mahomes is the best player all the time that is true these awards are regular season right, based. right. and by the way I'm not and I'll say this too and you and I when we have an hour we're going to unpack this thing too everybody wants everyone to win a ring every year you're going to be disappointed because there can only be one. That doesn't mean that the other teams didn't have great seasons. Right. And we've got to get over the fact that if you're not a champion, you're not great. I'm over that. I've been over that. I'm a Dan Marino guy. You're not telling me he wasn't a great quarterback. It takes a lot to win championships, a whole lot. It doesn't mean that people aren't really, really good. And so saying that, uh, fullback was Kyle Juszczyk from San Francisco, and the tight end was George Kittle slightly ahead of Travis Kelsey this year. And wide receivers, it's hard to dispute. And Rick Tyreek Hill, C.D. Lamb, and Amon Ross St. Brown from Detroit. That's no. awesome. They were all yeah. first-teamers. Absolutely. The tackles, Trent Williams and Penny Sewell from Detroit. That's pretty solid. Yep. The left guard was Joe Tooney. Think about this from Kansas City. He didn't even play much in the postseason, and they still managed to win the Super Bowl. Zach Martin is the right guard. And the center is Jason Kelsey. And it'll be interesting to see if he will continue his career. It seems to be he was done. Now I'm hearing that he may not be done, so yeah. we're going to see about that. 
And then on defense, Rick, and again, I, I welcome any dispute you have, but I can't hardly find one. Miles Garrett and T.J. Watt are your edge rushers. No, no. Aaron Donald and Chris Jones are your interior linemen. Fred Warner from San Francisco, Roquan Smith, and Quincy Williams from the Jets are your linebackers. Here's one. Deron Bland for Dallas, who got all that shine after Diggs gets hurt for Dallas. He comes in, all he does is set the NFL record for touchdowns, return from interceptions. Sauce Gardner is the other cornerback. Trent McDuffie is the slot cornerback, and the safeties are Kyle Hamilton from Baltimore and Antoine Winfield for Tampa. I think they got all that. Yeah, I do, too. I really do. I do, too. There's very little dispute. And then the place kicker was Brandon Aubrey, former soccer player for the Dallas Cowboys. Punter's A.J. Cole for Vegas, and the kick returner was Keyshawn Nixon for Green Bay. The punt returner was Rashid Shaheed for New Orleans, and the special team was Miles Killebrew for Pittsburgh. To me, A+. You give the the all-pro team, first-team credit. Second team was Dak Prescott, and, and the running back was Kyron Williams from the Rams, an out-of-nowhere pick. And it also lets you know, Rick, interestingly enough, that the old adage that we can find running backs anywhere, I won't say that, <laughs> but there sure does seem to be a I lot know. of them that I come know. out of nowhere. Uh, Pacheco was a seventh-round pick, and he's starting for the world champion Kansas City Chiefs. And so there's, there's that narrative. Sam Laporta for Detroit, what a year he had. He was a second-team all-pro tight end. And the receivers, A.J. Brown, Puka Nakua, Brandon Ayuk, and Mike Evans. Mike Evans, I mean, again, underrated 10,000-yard seasons in a row. It's crazy at Tampa with about 10 different quarterbacks. Tyron Smith from Dallas and Lane Johnson are your tackles. Tyler Smith and Chris Lidstrom from Atlanta are your guards. And Frank Ragnall for Detroit is your center. And then the second-team defense, Michael Parson and Max Crosby. Justin Matabrique from Baltimore, Dexter Lawrence, the interior lineman. Demario Davis from New Orleans. Bobby Wagner continues to make all pro. How old is Bobby Wagner? Rick, you tired of seeing I know. him? I know. <laughs> it's crazy. And Patrick Queen. Yes, he, and he just continues to almost lead the league in tackles, no matter who he plays for. Then you got Demario Davis. Uh, we talked talk about them. Excuse me. Jalen Johnson and Javarius Water, your cornerbacks. Taron Johnson for Buffalo is your slot corner, and your safeties are Jesse Bates and Justin Simmons from your Denver Broncos, made second team All Pro as a safety. And then wrapping things up, place kicker was Jake Elliott, Brian Anger for Dallas, Jake Elliott from Philly was the place kicker and the punter, respectively. Kick return to Marvin Mims for Denver. He had a good season, Rick. He had yeah, a really good season. Yeah, yeah. Not as many chances as, what, probably too many chances as they kicked yeah. off a lot to your <laughs> Broncos right. this that's year. Right. That's right. That's okay. They're going to kick off to you a lot, make most of it, right? <laughs> and then Darius Davis for the Chargers, your punt returner, and Jalen Reeves Maven for Detroit. That wraps up your first and second team all pros. And, Rick, for once, I have very little issue with those teams. No, no, I, I can't really very say little. nothing stands out. Uh, MVP, who was, the best, uh, who was the best coach? What do you think? Well, here's the thing. This, for me, the coach, I, I was a D'Amico Ryan's guy. And, and he didn't get it, but I can't even be too bothered about uh, the fact that it went differently because, to me, Kevin Stefanski with Cleveland, I think he ended up having four quarterbacks he had to navigate through this year. He did. When you talk about um, ending the season with Joe Flacco, who was on his couch, and the run that they made on the backs of their defense and playing pretty complimentary football. I know there was a few interceptions he threw. Kevin Stefanski for Cleveland – you took them to an 11-6 and record. And remember, they lost to Sean Watson, and they lost Nick Chubb early on this yeah, season. Yeah. The first team since 1987 to start five different quarterbacks in the <laughs> season, and that's ridiculous. And sent a franchise record with the winning score in the final two minutes of regulation on five occasions. Good job. Listen, we, we slam coaches a lot. We all coach from the sideline. Give him his. He got it there. The MVP, Lamar Jackson had the MVP wrapped up 
He led the best team in the league during the regular season to the best record and the one seed overall in the AFC. And they just decided, and they were the only team, and we talked about it on this show a lot, that did not have a bad game. No one beat the Ravens by more than seven points the whole year. They were always in winning mode, and yet they picked the last game of the season to have their worst game. And so that's the one that will hang with them forever. It reminds you a little bit of that Patriots team that was trying to go completely undefeated, and they picked the last game to not finish the deal. It was a little bit of that with with a few more losses. So leading them to a 13-4 and season, Lamar, well-deserved MVP. Christian McCaffrey was the offensive player of the year. Led the NFL in scrimmage yards a game. I don't think there's any dispute in that at all. And watching him closer throughout the season, I actually think I've underrated him. He's better than you think, and he's always been good. Rick, I'm sold on how tough he is and how good he is. Miles Garrett uh, finally got over the hump and got his, hard to believe, his first defensive player of the year award. It's kind of crazy. He ranked just seventh in sacks with 14, but his defense was the leading defense in the league and largely due to his unbelievable attention that he draws. C.J. Stroud, your guy, was the offensive rookie of the year. Crazy season he had, Rick. I don't, you saw him being better than Bryce Young. I'm not sure we saw this, though. No, I'm not sure we no. saw 4,108 yards. I'm not sure we saw the fact that he had 191 pass attempts without an interception to start a career. Don't know that any rookie would do that. He had a fantastic season, much deserved. And then his teammate, the the pick right behind him in the draft, number three, Will Anderson, came right in and and got defensive player of the year. It's crazy what he did. Finished the season with seven sacks, 10 tackles for loss, and 22 quarterback hits despite missing two games. And they've got both sides of the ball, and the coach lined up. Houston's going to be a factor for the next eight to ten years, barring something catastrophic happening. And we already talked about Stefanski being coach of the year. So those are the top honors for the NFL as we put a bow on that season, and then we get ready for the NFL draft. I know, and they're starting to sort it out now as we get ready. Prospect-wise, I mean, it's all over the board Mm. right now, as it usually is, especially with the quarterbacks. There's a lot of conditions that you have to consider with all these guys. Well, Rick, I think you and I are going to have some healthy debate between now and April 25th because this thing is moving a lot of ways. You know, with, with time comes more more scrutiny, right? Yeah. Caleb Williams, sometimes I think you can overthink it, right? Caleb Williams is the overall number one pick, and he seems to be the guy. And if you're Chicago is in a tenuous situation, they probably wish they weren't. They probably wish they didn't have to make the decision, but they do. It's kind of like when the Bulls had the number three pick in the Michael Jordan draft when Elijah Warren went number one and Bowie went number two. Chicago was going to get a good player regardless. But the fact that Jordan was available, and now we know, but at the time, and I, I was of that generation, I know that very well, Elijah Warren had to go number one. You had to take him number one. He was absolutely the game-changing player that, that we knew he was. But there were those that said Michael Jordan was really that good. But in college, he had... You know, play within the system was pretty restricted. He had played for the Olympic team, and Bob Knight said, take him. You better take him, I'm telling you. But Chicago had the third pick, and they waited on him, and they ended up with the best guy. Now the, now the Bears, ironically still Chicago, had the ten, intangible position that they've got a quarterback that's solid enough to stay, and if they didn't have the one pick, they would keep him. But you've got a chance to take a generational player, and with the quarterback situation you've had, never having had a uh, but one maybe 4,000-yard passer, you can't pass up on him. You can't pass up on him. The optics of it alone means you got to take Caleb Williams. I like Caleb Williams. 
But let's not sleep on this. If you're Washington, if you can get Jaden Daniels, you better take him. There are some draft boards that got Drake May going there, another Carolina guy to go there. I'm not as sold on Drake May, and he could prove me wrong, just like most picks prove me wrong. I like Jaden Daniels because of his versatility. Uh, he's slight build, but so was Lamar Jackson. You know what? So I don't think anybody looks at Lamar Jackson and worries about his build anymore. So to me, Caleb Williams won Jaden Daniels to Drake Mates in New England makes a lot of sense. But Gerard Mayo, they're going to take a while to get that built right. I actually think the best player in the entire draft is Marvin Harrison Jr. And I love where he's uh, set to go. To go to Arizona is going to be perfect for Caleb Williams. And then the number five pick, the consensus for Jim Harbaugh and the Chargers is they may go offensive tackle for Joe Alt. That would solidify some things, although the Chargers have some decisions to make with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. So they may try to take one of the receivers. Roma Dunze from Washington may move up. So that's five, Rick, that we'll tease you with as we build momentum the rest of this offseason around the rest of the team. And, of course, free agency or franchise tag starts today. And so we got some Saquon Barkley news. we got some Chris Jones news. We're going to see what a lot of these teams do, which may move some of this draft stuff around. So we'll just have to see. All right. I'm looking forward to you breaking down all the prospects and how they look. And as always, my friend, thank you so much for your time. Great stuff, as always. We got you, brother. We'll see you Saturday at the Deadman. All right, man. There you go. That's our Radford Hall of Famer NFL correspondent, David Smith. Great breakdown. Reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes. The flags go up. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Fuel burning fast on an empty tank. Reckless and wild, All right, they pour through the turns. The prowess is potent and secretly stern. The as they speed through the finish, the flags go down. The fans get up and they get out of town. The arena is empty except for one man still driving and striving. We'll be back here as we motor along on a Tuesday. Everybody has one. doesn't even have to be sports-related, right? We were talking about that the other day, people at work. What is, like, if you have a movie? My daughter was asking me over the weekend. She was in for a birthday. And 
there's always it, it doesn't even have to be like a great movie, <laughs> right? But it's just one that makes you feel good, and that's really all that matters. That Smokey and the Bandit's one of those for me. Let's go to the Baker Team Hotline. Hey, good morning, Big Dog, Big Al. How are hey, you today? Hey, what's going on, Big Al? Good to hear from you, brother. Just trying to get come down from the high from last night's game. Yeah, man, that was impressive. Let's see if they can carry yes, it, it on the road. Yeah. Not sure that I've ever seen a Tech basketball team dominate a what's normally a nationally ranked rival that convincingly before. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it was strange, too. Vegas must have known something, Al, because Tech was favored in that game, right? Not by that many, but yeah. So maybe they saw something, too, about that matchup. Tech was favored by three and a half. I have that little score app that shows the line. I looked at it two or three times and thought that was a misprint. (laughs) Well, now we know they had it right. (laughs) Yes, they did. Um, You didn't talk about it much. You you mentioned in passing Lefty Drizelle. Yeah. And um, yesterday, yeah. I have an uncle. I have an uncle by marriage, and his brother played college basketball at Davidson with Terry Holland, Mm -hmm. and Lefty Drizelle was the coach. Oh, so cool! So he told some. He told some great stories about Lefty and um, what an outstanding person he was and what a phenomenal sense of humor he had. Yes, yes. And I had an opportunity many years ago um, nearby Galax, about 20-some miles away, is Oak Hill Academy. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and Oak Hill's won many mythical, I guess you'd call it high school national championships. They recruit from all over the country. I've been up there for numerous games and seen coach, seen um, coaches from all over the country come in, as well as pro coaches scouting, and uh, had an opportunity to personally meet Lester Giselle up there one time when they were scouting. And uh, again, just just a great guy and a phenomenal sense of humor, dry wit, never missed a, never missed a joke. Yeah, we had him on first run of the show back from 2001 to 2010. We had him on a couple times. You're right; it was always the stories and how much how excited he got about telling those stories. And he's one of the few guys, Al, I've never heard in coaching circles, and I've talked to a lot of them, I've never heard one ill word said about Lefty Giselle from anybody. No, even when they reported on his wins and losses, and he could get, I'll say, real excited in press conferences, but <laughs> even you know, the press liked him, the players liked him, the fans enjoyed engaging with him. Absolutely, man. And that's what it's all about. He always got the PR game even before we called it a PR game. Absolutely. He did. But he got it. I guess I like to say he got got the PR game naturally. He wasn't trying to put on a front. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. He was – he reminds me a lot as far as his – as far as his demeanor and getting along with everybody, he reminded me a lot of – Coach Leach down at Mississippi State. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah very similar. You're right. Uh, never took himself too seriously. Took what they did very seriously, but right. And always trying to make somebody feel better and have time for somebody. I mean, you're exactly right. I think that's a great comparison, side by side. All right, Rick. Have a great day. Thanks, Al. You too. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's very rare today, as you know, cynical as everybody is and as jaded as they are, that you don't hear – any negativity about somebody like that. I've never heard anyone say anything negatively at all about Lefty Giselle. Ever. And we called, and, and one time, the second time, I'd gotten a hold of his handler, and it was his cell phone. This was back, whew, 
seems like a lifetime ago. I guess it was. 2003, 2004, 20 years ago. First run of the show and called him up. It was during the summer and it was on his cell and he was, I can't remember exactly what he was doing. He may have been golfing. He was doing something where it, it sounded like, Okay, well, Coach, listen, man, I, I understand we can reschedule. No, 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 I told you I'd be on. Hang on. I was so it's one of those things. Was, Let me call you back. He wrote down the number. This was He was talking to our producer at the time. Uh, I believe it was Brian Brubaker. It was either him or Steve Gore. I can't remember the, the time. And so they wrote down the uh, studio line thinking, okay, well, we're not going to hear back from Coach. And sure enough, less than 30 seconds later, he goes, all right, I'm in a good spot. Let's rock and let's do this. And then he comes on, and he didn't have to say anything, but he wanted to, he apologized again over the air about, you know, not being ready. And I was like, Coach, don't don't worry about it, man. It's fine, you know. But anyway, just a, a great, very humble guy. And uh, again, you just don't hear any negativity. It's great. It's awesome to know that that's the and what a legacy that is, especially today, man. You know, that's that's a pretty strong legacy. And I think probably he had an inclination that's the kind of legacy he was going to leave. But uh, great conversations. Al's right. That's pretty cool that he has that connection with him. I mean, you talk about iconic coaches from a certain demographic of the country, a certain portion of the country. That's Lefty Giselle, right? The Davidson years and ACC connections. There are a few people that you're going to put over him in terms you think about the patriarchy of the ACC, right? I mean, you're gonna—it's not that many people are gonna be on top of Lefter Giselle. I mean, he's gonna be up there. So, yeah, absolutely. I wish we had more people like him in the business. We have a lot of good people who are coaches. I mean, a whole lot of good people who are coaches. But um, the person, the combination of the personality, the coach, and the person himself is something that you don't get nearly as much anymore. 639-4900-744-2990. So uh, Mason sent a text. He's like, I'm a huge, huge Baltimore Orioles fan. I'm so excited about the season to see if the O's can continue on what they built last year. You know, they signed Corbin Burns or traded for Corbin Burns uh, from Milwaukee, and and they should be pretty good again. And he goes, I know you're a Padres fan. He's asking me how I feel about it. I, I'm really having a hard time. I, I have zero expectation. Maybe that was the problem last year. There were a lot of expectations. But when you trade away Juan Soto and you lose your owner, that's the other part that's hanging over the franchise, their owner. Uh, Peter Seidler passed away. So you have like a makeshift group, you know, his son and people in the family trying to run it until I guess they're going to sell the team. I don't know what they're going to do. I'm, it feels like they're going to try to sell it. I, I'm hoping I get more into the stick and ball mindset here as we segue. Spring training games will be starting this week. I'm still bitter seeing what the Dodgers were able to do with Otani and that deal that they gave him. You know, it just it just bugs me. It just bugs me. So I'm not there yet. Mason is what I'm saying. I'm glad you are, and you're right. As an Orioles fan, you should be very excited about the upcoming season. They um, arrived a little early last year. Didn't make a lot of big moves, but they didn't necessarily have to. Able to keep your top prospects when you get a guy like Burns, that was impressive. 
new ownership there as well in Baltimore they're excited about. I think it's going to be around for a while. That division's so, so tough, right? Yankees bound to be better with Soto if their pitching can hold up. The Blue Jays have just a devastating lineup. Your Orioles, the Rays are seemingly always in contention. Such a well-run organization. Of course, you have a Virginia Tech tie there. And, you know, the Red Sox are the, right now, it's hard to believe it, the Red Sox are trying to play catch-up in the East. But it's going to be a, a really, really tough and effective division, there's no doubt. I think a lot of teams are, I mean, I, you know, you look at the National League, I, you know, the Dodgers obviously are going to be the easiest team, unless you're a Dodger fan, they're going to be the easiest team in baseball to root against just because of everything that they did and the people they signed. And look, it's great. If they don't care about the tax and they don't care about all that because they're the richest team in the sport in terms of spending, and I guess they are right now even over the Yankees, then so be it. You know, good for them. But as a fan of their one of their big rivals, I mean, it makes me hate them even more. <laughs> Diamondbacks, can they build on it last year? They're a lot like the Orioles, right? I mean, very young, exciting team. Carroll was just a... Such a fun player to watch. They've drafted so well. They've developed very well. I think the Diamondbacks, I said it last year, I didn't expect them to have the kind of season they did, but they're going to be around for a while in that National League West. In the East, you know, everybody looks at the Braves, and rightfully so. Mets, they have all the money, the New York moniker. I don't know. I think the Nationals are going to be a lot better. I think Washington has got a lot of young talent. And this is when they start, I guess, getting over the PR bounce back of trading Soto to the Padres a couple years ago. But I think they're going to bounce back a bit in that division. So I guess once we get into it, I'll I'll be more into it because really you have no choice because baseball is basically the only team sport you have in the summer that's going on competitively because hockey will end, the NBA will be done, thank God. NFL will be getting cranked up post-draft for training camp. But, yeah, kudos, Mason, and all you Orioles fans. I hear from a lot of you. I know there's a lot of folks who listen. Hey, I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm happy for you. Um, I always had a great time at Camden Yards. I still think it's the cathedral of the new era ballparks. I think all these other parks, there's many of them that are great, but I think they're still trying to chase what Camden created, and I don't think you can improve upon that. I will always defer to Camden. Such a wonderful yard. But those are going to be potentially really good. You had Corbin Burns now as your ace. Whew. That's just such a shrewd move. Shrewd, shrewd move. And I'll, I'll get more into it, too, once we start doing college baseball. You know, it just got underway, and I'll be calling those games and watching this young, this new, totally new Radford team develop as the year goes on will get me more into it. Once you're hanging around the ballpark, it kind of helps you a little bit. <laughs> helps me anyway. I'm not there yet, though, Mason. I'm glad you are. You should be. Spring training is, is here. The, the games are getting ready to start. But, uh, hey, Rodney, there you go. Go Orioles. Yeah, you should, you should be. And I am. I'm generally happy for all of you.
because I think everybody who's an Orioles fan has been an Orioles fan for a long, long time. You suffered a lot. But I don't think you're going to have to worry about that anymore. I really don't. It just feels like they've got like a – and I know it doesn't always work out this way, but it really feels like they've got like a five- or seven-year run in it. Does it? It really does. They've got all these guys under control. They're developing in the minors. They've been shrewd about what they've spent. You've got new ownership. You get a little bit of success. He's going to want to make an imprint on the fan base. You've got a lot of advantages there, too, for future free agents. They've played second fiddle to the Nats for a long time in that town, you know, in that area. Nats, of course, got the World Series, and they kind of exploded in popularity. But I think the O's are are going to be a team that you won't ever be able to talk about the American League East for the next for the foreseeable future, and not mention Baltimore. I wish my Padres could have developed into that, but they didn't, and. They won't, <laughs> unfortunately, as long as A.J. Preller is the, uh, is the general manager there. But, yeah, don't worry, Mason. We'll get into it. We'll talk a lot more baseball. Uh, we will. I just hope we don't have any significant injuries during the spring, especially to pitchers. I always worry about that, you know. Seems like there were so many key injuries last year. I just don't want to see that this year. I hope guys are – Healthy because you want to see the best in the world do what they do, either on the hill or throughout those lineups. And I think we've all gotten used to the new changes in the rules, right? The new rule changes are kind of implemented now, so we're kind of moving beyond that just tiresome conversation last year. Pitch clock is great. I never had a problem with it. I don't. I like it a lot. And uh, we shall see, because I'm, I'm going to be taking the rest of the league as an anti-Dodger guy. <laughs> so come on, rest of the league. Don't let me down. <laughs> if there is a uh, situation where the Dodgers find themselves in the World Series. But you know what? How many times have we seen it? You think you buy the best team. Yeah, pound for pound, you might have the most talent. But boy, oh boy, it doesn't really matter. Baseball is a different animal. It's a long season. You have key injuries. It's not the same type of momentum build. Personalities have to mesh. What helps L.A. so much is you have a guy like Mookie Betts, who's such a leader, who so selfishly changed positions. He doesn't care. He's just trying to win a World Series, right? He's just like, I'll do whatever. I'll play infield. I'll play outfield. Second base, shortstop, whatever. I'll do whatever. And he's good enough to where he can you know, acclimate himself to both of those entities. So yeah, yeah, I'm 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 hoping I can kick into uh, baseball. Phillies are probably still going to be the ten. I left them out of the East. The Phillies, you can look at the Phillies lineup. It's kind of like an all-star lineup in the National League. All right, we're coming back to wrap up the program here on a Tuesday.
I come in here every morning, I find the best listening audience in radio. Thanks, everybody, who chimed in. Good stuff, as always, here on this Tuesday. Tomorrow, we'll slot over the hump. Keon Brown will join us. We've got to get into this whole uh, NBA conundrum. Bill Roth and the Roth Report. He'll follow up more on the Virginia Tech contest. You too, Wayne. Have a good day. Wayne, you made sure I was going to have a good day because I had bacon jerky. So, thanks to you. Very nice. Very nice of you. Give my best to uh, your wife, by the way. Tell her Tell her. Rick said hey. All right, everybody. Enjoy your Tuesday. We'll see you tomorrow. Take care. Center for. I'm Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, New River Valley.